As the premier organization in MMA, you'd think the UFC would be the place to be to seek your fortune. You're finally going to fulfill your dream and start your UFC training. And for some fighters, it sure is. I mean, there's been guys like Conor McGregor who've gone from plumber's apprentice to the UFC's Gordon Gecko. But you've got to be on the team to play ball, and not everyone gets a slice of that sweet Dana White pie. Luckily, though, there's plenty of ways to make money in combat sports. Sometimes you just got to get out there and pick a fight with a YouTuber. I'm Balian from MMA On Point, and here are 10 fighters who cashed in big after leaving the UFC. Quick disclaimer, a lot of the numbers are super murky. No one ever fully discloses what they make. But what we do have for you are very hard numbers as well that prove these fighters absolutely made bank outside of the UFC. And honestly, probably even more when you factor in what they didn't disclose. Number 10, Antonio Carlos Jr. Honestly, I don't know how you get a nickname like Shoeface. It's probably some obscure reference to a childhood trauma. Oh, no, wait, it's literally because his chin looks like a shoe? So I, I got a coach who likes to put like a nickname on everybody, you know. He said, you look like a, you look like a shoe, you know. Okay, then. Anyway, Antonio Carlos Jr. has had a pretty interesting UFC career. First, he won the Tough 3 Brazil competition at heavyweight, lost to Patrick Cummings at 205, and by his next fight had already made the drop to the middleweight division, where he was making 17,000 to win and 17 to show. After five more fights, he was up to 21, and he eventually went six and five across seven years. Eventually, though, after a 16-month layoff, he returned at 257 to fight Brad Tavares. He lost, that made it three in a row, and he got released from the promotion. But don't worry, much like his chin, this cloud had a silver lining. Immediately after, he got an offer from the PFL to join their light heavyweight tournament season, and just three months later, he was fighting Tom Lawler at PFL 2. He subbed him in the first round, and he got a full six points to kick off the season. He accidentally kicked Vinny Magalhaes in the dick, it happens, and picked up two more wins before the end of 2021, which meant he'd only bloody won the 205 tournament, hadn't he? And the grand prize of a cool $1 million. That's Lannister money right there. He told the media he doubled what he made in his seven years with the UFC in just one year, from getting kicked out of the UFC to pocketing the kind of money that would make Tom Aspinall cry. Ah. Number nine, Sean O'Connell. The only thing I learned from the real OC's UFC career is this man is a master at mind games, okay? Who shows up to a weigh-in and expects bubbles to be blown in your face, eh? Or to receive a delightful bunch of flowers. Not Floyd Mayweather, I can tell you that. I mean, this is a man who got a UFC contract by inviting Dana on his sports talk radio show and literally asking for one. He was 15-4 and four when he joined the UFC, but unfortunately, things didn't go great for Sean. He eventually went 2-5 and five in the UFC, but to be fair, three of them were fights of the night. He was on $10,000 to fight, $10,000 to win against Matt Van Buren, then 14 in his next fight, then 18, but after dropping three losses in a row, he was released from the UFC at the end of 2016. So he sort of entered a suedo retirement. How are the turntables? for about a year and a half before he heard about the PFL and signed up to their $1 million tournament. He didn't want to just make his show and win money though. I want the whole thing. 2018 turned out to be the best year of his life as he made it all the way to the PFL finals and forced Vinny Magalhaes to quit on the stall at the end of the third round. Boom, the real OC, yeah, he's a millionaire now. And he immediately retired and now holds a position in the PFL commentary booth, cashing more checks. Ka-ching. Number eight, Rory McDonald. I know GSP likes dinosaurs and I've got no idea what size his feet are, but he left some pretty big shoes to fill for the next generation of Canadian MMA fighters. And Rory McDonald would have been champion too if it wasn't for that meddling Robbie Lawler. Rory started in the UFC on 6,000 to show and 6,000 to win. That went up to 8,000 for his next two fights, then 13, then 21. Not exactly life-changing amounts. It was probably barely enough to pay for his training camp. Eventually, he was bumped up to 50 to show and 50 to win. And incredibly, he was only paid 59,000 to show for his epic title fight against 
against Robbie Lawler, plus bonuses, of course. His final payout, another 59,000 to show against Stephen Thompson and just 10 grand from the Reebok sponsorship. It's no surprise that when his contract was up, he had a poke around as a free agent and jumped ship to Bellator, who started paying him the big bucks. He was paid a flat fee of $100,000 for his first fight against Paul Daly and then another 100,000 against Douglas Lima, along with a $250,000 Dash cryptocurrency sponsorship. Yeah, eat your heart out, Reebok. After six fights with Bellator in just two years, he far surpassed his total UFC pay, and then he jumped over to the PFL for what he called the biggest contract of his career. His disclosed payout at PFL 6 was $250,000 for one fight. Times that by the six fights he had, plus the sponsors and other bonuses, and yeah, we are essentially talking 2.9 million, or likely a good bit more considering what wasn't reported. Number seven, Andrei Arlovsky. There isn't really anyone who's been in the UFC as long as Andrei Arlovsky. He made his first appearance in the year 2000 after a hit and miss start. He fought his way to the heavyweight interim title before eventually being promoted to official champion status. For his last five fights in the promotion between 2006 and 2008, he was being paid $90,000 to show, which isn't bad, especially considering the era of MMA at the time. He had that god-awful boring fight with Fabrizio Verdum and did not sign a new UFC contract, but it actually worked out perfectly as the Affliction promotion had just started and they needed heavyweights. He signed up to fight Big Ben Rothwell and took home a hefty $500,000 to show and an extra 250 grand after he knocked him out. After that, he was off to Elite XC because being a free agent is amazing, apparently, and he fought Big Country Roy Nelson and pocketed another $500,000. Then it was back to Affliction to fight Fedor Emelianenko because being a former champion it also has its benefits. How much did they pay him, though? Well, hold on to your official UFC Venom-branded socks because the answer is one million dollars. Actually, it was 1.5 million dollars. I know, Affliction had that fuck you money and this was 2009, people. Obviously, Affliction folded and went under, let's say for various reasons, well, one reason maybe, but Andre showed up and got paid, son. When you then look at the fights that didn't disclose pay after this in Strikeforce, Pro Elite, 1FC and World Series of Fighting, which are all known to pay big, even a low figure with 11 fights, we are easily approaching 3 million here. Number six, Demetrius Johnson. It's no secret that the Mighty Mouse was criminally underrated and overlooked by much of the UFC fanbase during his time as a champion, possibly even the UFC brass themselves. His first UFC fight against Kid Yamamoto, he got paid a whopping five grand to show and five grand to win. For his first title defense against John Dodson in 2013, it had crept up to 26,000 to show and win, then 50K. By the end of his UFC run, he was making a flat fee of around $350,000, which is pretty damn good, but uh, he did hold the longest undefeated run as a champion, and I'm pretty sure he wasn't getting pay-per-view points either. After his loss to Cejudo, we saw a bit of a mixed martial arts anomaly happen, where he was traded to 1FC for Ben Askren. Not only was he now free to pursue whatever sponsor he wanted, and I mean, the man used to be sponsored by Xbox back in the day, he was now on a very lucrative new contract, one that was worth a reported $750,000 per fight. About damn time, if you ask me. He's had five fights over there now, which brings his take-home purse alone to just under $4 million in three years. The Mighty Mouse is finally getting paid, and since August, he's also the champion. Number five, Anthony Pettis. So, coming into the UFC as the reigning WEC champion. Pretty awesome, I'd say. Much better than coming off the Contender Series, right? Well, how much do you think Anthony Pettis got paid for his first UFC fight against Clay Guida? Well, the answer would be 10 grand to show and 10 to win, which, if you don't know, 
hope he didn't. Three fights later, he fought against Benson Henderson for the UFC title, and he was bumped up to $20,000 to fight and 27 to win. Now, the amounts disclosed by the Athletic Commissions rarely include bonuses and sponsorship fees, but even still, it's not exactly a lot for a UFC championship fight. After winning the belt and getting on a Wheaties box, Showtime started making 100 and 100, and it basically stayed around that number until his final couple of fights, where his pay was as high as $155,000, but he was 10 years into the UFC at this point. He ended his UFC run on a two-fight win streak and decided to test free agency, which turned out to be pretty smart as literally one day later he announced he'd signed a multi-fight deal with the PFL. We didn't know until July this year exactly how much that contract was worth, but the payouts were revealed and he was being paid $750,000 as a flat fee for each fight. Ooh, mama. Showtime had pretty much struck gold, and after five fights with the PFL, plus God knows the amount from sponsors, he was now able to freely endorse he's probably taken home something around $4 million. He was one of the first former UFC champions to test out other promotions in this era, and yeah, seems like it worked out pretty well. Number four, Eddie Alvarez. When Eddie Alvarez reclaimed the Bellator title in 2013 and announced he'd be heading to the UFC, the hardcore MMA fanbase was buzzing like it was Monday night Game of Thrones time. He'd won a title in every major promotion he'd been in at that point, and he came in fighting Donald Cerrone and being paid a flat fee of $100,000 for each one of his UFC fights, even when he won the title. He did take home an extra 50 Gs that night, though. Not surprised at how he carbonized RDA. But after eight fights, his UFC contract was up, and he wanted to resign, but there were better offers on the table. So the underground king continued his Ronin ways and teamed up with 1FC. He told Ariel Hawani it was more than just a contract, it was a partnership. How much was it worth? Well, he told media outlets it was an eight-figure deal. It was almost too good to be true, and some MMA media like Jonathan Snowden didn't necessarily believe him. But even moderate estimates speculate he was being paid $850,000 per fight on a 10-fight contract. And that's probably not including bonuses and whatever else comes from the partnership with one. So after four fights, he's pocketed a possible $4 million-ish, maybe more. But these numbers are still splitting the difference with what he already claimed. But we do know the offer from one crushed all others. He has recently left the promotion however, but I guess we'll see where he ends up next. Nate Diaz fight, anyone? And number three, Ronda Rousey. Way back in 2013, Ronda Rousey was given the inaugural women's UFC bantamweight title before she'd ever even fought in the promotion. And how much did she get paid for her first appearance as a champion? 45 to show and 45 to win. Her next fight against Misha, even after all the ultimate fighter build-up, saw her pay only increase to 50 and 50, and she basically only had incremental increases of five dollars or $10,000 up until she shit-talked Floyd Mayweather, and even Beyonce was using her do-nothing bitch catchphrase. Then the UFC put on the biggest show of all time in Australia, and Ronda was paid 75,000 to show and 75 to win, which she didn't. Holly, by the way, was on 25 and 25 for that fight. Yeah. She really didn't seem to want to come back to fight Nunez. What made it, you ask? Well, how about $3 million? Yeah, fucking insane jump up, that one. And yeah, she kind of cashed in big with that fight. But after losing, well, who was she going to fight next? She was done with the sport. The WWE offered her a contract. I mean, she did get her nickname from a legendary pro wrestler. And it was supposedly worth $1 million a year. After two years, she signed a new contract worth $1.5 million. Combined with merchandising and sponsorship, she's made an estimated 4 to $5 million across four years. Let's not ourselves that is definitely not more than the UFC especially when you figure in pay-per-view points but make no mistake a lot of people flat out thought her career was over with the Nunes loss around five million that is a massive success number two Paige Van Zandt 12 Gauge blasted her way through her first three UFC opponents. Eventually, we saw her skills didn't match up with the elite of the division, but after appearing on Dancing with the Stars in 2016, she realized she probably had other ways to make money, especially as she was only making around 40 grand per fight. 
By the time her UFC contract came to an end in 2020, she'd established herself as an influencer. There were two big competitors trying to sign Paige, Bellator and the bare-knuckle promotion BKFC. So she signed a deal reportedly worth more than $1 million. Supposedly the contract was for four fights, around $400,000 per fight, and she also hinted at a ton of sprinkles and cherries on top. Better yet, it wasn't exclusive and she's been able to sign with pro wrestling organization AEW. But that's all peanuts compared to what she's been making on her own fan site, Paige Fanzan. Doing some quick maths here, $50 a sign up and she's reported that she's making more than her entire BKFC contract in just one month. She's accrued 1.7 million likes across her posts and to get the $800,000 she's been paid so far by BKFC, she only needs 16,000 subscribers. If you look at the amounts of money someone like Amaranth is making, yeah, I can actually believe Paige. And she's just launched an OnlyFans on top of that, which kind of puts her at the top of this list, except we can't exactly be certain. So, number one, Tyron Woodley. Okay, so during his UFC run, the chosen one apparently didn't feel very chosen. Really though, he actually didn't get too bad of a deal with his initial UFC contracts. For his first fight, he made 43,500 to show and the same amount to win. Looking at you, 10 grand Anthony Pettis. That number crept up until he fought for the title and took home $340,000 for beating Robbie Lawler. Then he started making 500,000 for each of his title fights and after he lost the belt, it went down to around $200,000. But after four losses in a row, his UFC contract was up. So that led to a boxing match with the infamous Jake Paul. But just how much did Tyron get paid? Officially, according to the Ohio State Athletic Commission, he pocketed $2 million, not including a cut of that sweet, sweet pay-per-view. Pay-per-view is doing some shit right now. I told you. Motherfuckers laughed at me. And uh, the Dude Wipes sponsorship, among others. The point is, it apparently did around 500,000 buys, so he took home around $3 million total, according to most sources. And guess what? They ran the fight back. The second time around, we unfortunately don't know exactly how much he made. The Florida State Athletic Commission don't release that information, but he reportedly walked away with a guaranteed $1 million, plus the additional revenue from the sponsors, pay-per-view, etc., which apparently, by the way, did not do very well at all. Either way, when it's all said and done, it's estimated Tyron made around $5 million for his two fights with Jake Paul. So his fight career and legacy may be tarnished, but at the end of the day, he's made a pocket full of cash and he's probably pretty happy about it. You know what? Based on all the ping pong games he's lost, Luke Taylor's definitely not been making any bank recently, but he did do a good job editing this video though, didn't he? Check him out at calltome underscore. Being the indie music god he is, I bet Ben Rosette has been cashing out ever since he picked up a bloody guitar. Thanks for the intro music, Ben. If you want to hear more of his stuff, head to Spotify or find him at Ben Rosette. What do you think? Did any of these fighters sell out? Is that even a thing you can do? anymore let me know in the comments down below and of course if you did enjoy this vid go ahead and ka-ching the like button and also if you didn't know we upload free videos a week that's consistent content right there so subscribe if you want i've been Balian. you can follow me at Balian underscore plays on twitter and Balian on instagram and i'm on twitch see you in the next one folks